from Rixie. This is Frameform. All right, folks, it's here, our deep dive for this season, and I'm extra excited for this one. It is our West Side Story deep dive episode. So every season, we like to pick at least one feature film to dedicate an entire episode to, and even before I saw West Side Story in theater, I knew I would be pitching this as a topic for our current season. How could we not cover this reimagination of a classic musical that, in my opinion, is the musical to show anyone who is skeptical that they could ever enjoy singing and dancing on the big screen? For decades, the 1961 movie version, even with its obvious flaws, has been cherished because of certain elements that shine through. It's still a prime example of choreography for camera, and even with its awkward slash offensive makeup and accents, there's a good intention at the core of the story and a lot of great dance. In this new version, screenwriter Tony Kushner, director-producer Steven Spielberg, and their fleet of experts has redeemed these flaws and then some. They have created what I believe to be a sublime and timeless classic. The 2021 version is so intentionally crafted with authenticity, nuance, and virtuosity, I was sobbing for the entire final act, in part because I didn't want it to end. So clearly I'm a fan, but DeHanna and Claire feel the same way. Before we deep dive into any further details, let's rewind and provide you with some context on how West Side Story got to this point, why this particular version is so worthy of being celebrated in my opinion, and of course, what Hannah and Claire think. So, did you two see the original, and what knowledge or context or expectations did you have going into the new one? Yes, I've seen the original. Uh, thank you to my grandmother, my <laughs> grandma Lil, for feeding me and encouraging me and teaching me the ways of all the musicals in the 60s. And this one, of course, was in the VHS set that she had uh i love this one uh, i still cherish it the colors during this era in film you know it's just everything is so bright and lively so i really love how this looks on television and that's how i watched it i didn't see it at the theater i watched it on a small television um and it's just a great one it's catchy it teaches you things that you, at a young age, that you don't know about, and it's a classic. Yeah, I think I first saw West Side Story, um, oddly enough, in a Spanish class. This was like end of the year kind of things where like all the testing is done, like the APs are done, and now the teachers need to just like kill time <laughs> for a bit, and... I mean, we did have discussions about cultural representation and sort of the um, the monolithing of uh, you know the general Caribbean culture as well. But I was drawn to it, and I was drawn. Um, I mean, I remember at the time being drawn to Natalie Wood's performance, as problematic as it was. Um, there is a, a real sense of groundedness that she has in that movie that I don't really think that she has in, I mean, really any other <laughs> film that she's done. Um, and also I, uh, completely reframed the way I thought about the film when I was during my master's program in London. And this was when I started really getting into some of the more academic side of screen dance. And, um, my professor, shout out Gabby Tropia, 
um, actually showed us the first seven minutes of West Side Story, starting out with that helicopter shot and looking at the choreography of the camera and the edits in tandem with the dancing and really, you know, arguing like this is this is screen dance. This is, you know, this is how a, a marriage of dance and camera can be done and can be done in a very accessible way as well. Absolutely. And I believe it was done in the 1961 version. And then again, in this new version, we see it on a completely different level. What new technology and honestly, what I believe to be more authenticity, um, more intentionality, what that can result in, which, you know, as I said in the intro, I think this is the film to show people if they're like, I don't like musicals. And as I think I've shared on the podcast, part of what sparked my inspiration for dance cinema and for even getting into screen dance or dance film in a more serious way was being in film school and my teachers unanimously saying, I don't like musicals, but we're going to watch Singing in the Rain. And they could all acknowledge that Singing in the Rain was still really great, but no one really understood or was passionate about the language of dance married with film. And I think the original West Side Story did it, and this one does it on a whole other level. It's a two and a half, or Hannah, you said two <laughs> two hours, 45 minute Two and a half film. plus. <laughs> yeah, around that for budgeting credits. As I was thinking earlier, is that extremely long, especially for today's audiences? Yes, but if you're looking at it from the context of this is an epic, this is like the singular musical to watch, I think that two and a half to three hours is absolutely perfect. How much screen time do we give to Lord of the Rings and Star Wars in comparison? That said, there's so many ways that we could go into a conversation about this and so many different details to pick up on that we are going to try really hard to stay focused on a couple discussion points so that we can cover a range of topics and hopefully we get some, some little tangents and deep dives in there without completely spending the next 24 hours talking about this film. So my first quick question is, who were your favorite or least favorite characters? I uh, I hated Riff. <laughs> Sorry to take over, Claire, but I need to get this off my chest. <laughs> I did not like Riff. He was annoying. The choice of character, like the actor, it didn't work well for me. Uh, it just, he, honestly, I have a lot of things and problems, things I'd like to say about this film, but okay, let's just start with Riff. I don't think casting worked for him. He looked like just like a little bitty hipster boy playing someone in the 60s. Ansel Elgort, also as Tony, was not my favorite. I really love the movie Baby Driver, and to me, he is always Baby Driver in my head. Uh, the way that he finds out that Maria was shot and is dead is the most, like, he doesn't execute it very well. Yeah, Ansel Elgort underperformed here. Riff was annoying. The Jets in general were annoying. <laughs> like, I did not like them. I was okay with them in the 1961 version, but this one just made me, like... I, I could just do without them. You were kind of meant to hate them, though, because they are delinquents. <laughs> In the 1961 version, 
it's a lot easier to digest mm-hmm. the jets. Yeah. Whereas Spielberg just was like, you're going to hate them no matter what. Well, okay. So I have one, okay, one hard agree and one hard disagree with what you what you just said. Love it. Um, I totally agree with regards to Tony and Ansel Elgert. And I mean, basically anything, and I don't think that that's anything new said about this film because any review I've read about it is, you know, this is, this is a great adaptation. The one thing really holding it back is just the weak male lead. I, I think that he was there for star power, considering that the rest of the cast really, um, a lot of them are doing their first feature. And something that um, was really intriguing looking at the cast is just how um, the predominance of the dance background with uh, a lot of, of them. I mean, obviously, Ariana DeBose was on um, So You Think You Can Dance. Um, David Alvarez was a um, JKO scholarship winner and then you know joined the Army for two years, as you do. <laughs> um, I completely disagree when it comes to Mike Face. I loved riff and I think honestly the strong supporting performances particularly from the male cast complete like that juxtaposition of the strength and the the energy and charisma that they're putting on screen really brings out just how weak Ansel Elgert was now you know all the you know controversy about him aside I felt like I wanted to see I I would have seen a whole movie with riff and he's not I mean he's not a pleasant character and that's it's the kind of thing where it's kind of like a red rocket situation like the character you see on screen is not someone you necessarily love but you can't help but watch and it's and I think that also the way that we frame the characters as well is particularly with this version is as Jen mentioned like a heightened sense of cultural sensitivity whereas the 1961 version like the uh the Jets were very much of a like a rebel without a cause type and sort of like grandfathering off that, you know, James Dean generation of, I mean, sad to say a moviegoer at the time might have leaned more towards them. But here that's, I mean, there's almost a sort of abrasiveness to them. And also um, I don't want to go off too much on a tangent, but sort of almost like a reluctance of adhering to gang life, gang life, I mean, from both sides, really, but really from the predominant characters in, you know, in Maria's circle, in Bernardo's circle, in Anita's circle. I think a real win about this version is the sheer amount of development that was done on every single character. Everything is so layered. And I love that we're already having a disagreement about Riff because we're not having a disagreement about Tony. <laughs> honest, but we are having a disagreement about about Riff here. And what I really love, and I think this is going to come through in like a couple other ways in this conversation, is that I think this film invites us to, even though on the surface it it is based on Romeo and Juliet, Montagues and Capulets, rivaling gangs, there's so much more nuance to it. And I think at the center is really a message of empathizing with the individual. Because while we could dismiss riff and the jets is like just delinquents and like the worst and of course we don't like them they're in their own way are victims of not having parents around not having good examples and i really love how this story does and i think it might be riff himself that says to the sharks like you have families you have jobs you have each other 
you know, I think that there's a lot to be said there with that character. And I love that we're already having some heated disagreements on things. So we've kind of talked about those standout things we might change or characters that were not our favorite. What about your absolute favorite characters or moments for those characters in this film? I mean, I think we can all agree that Anita was the strongest of all the characters in this. Yeah. Um, I'll just stop there. <laughs> yeah. It's like any other questions? <laughs> no? Great. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, so much has already been said about Ariana DeBose's performance here and so well, so deservedly so. And I mean, I also want just have to commend the performances of everyone, you know, playing the sharks as well, and you know, up going very seamlessly from English to Spanish, and also in an authentic Puerto Rican accent too. Again, it's not monolithing the whole Latin, you know, Latin American culture. It is getting very, very specific into those details, and yeah, Ariana just elevates the character so much. But I also want to shout out Rita Moreno. I actually thought her character was a f fantastic addition to the film. I thought that um, the choice to have There's a Place for a Song by Her was actually a really nice choice. Mm -hmm. Well, to piggyback off of Anita, America was the standout song. I mean, that also goes within the 1961 version. Uh, what a beautiful, and I would say the most like the highest peak of the film uh, as we were, we were like talking about with the jets living this kind of lackluster life with parents that are doing drugs or they're not there for them, you know, rebel without a cause, as we were saying, watching the two in their uniforms and colors that they're wearing throughout the film, the jets wearing like blues, grays, darker colors, um, you know, associated with sad and depressed and, like, you know, neutral, boring. And then when we have the Puerto Ricans, their crowd, you know, there's this new hope being an immigrant in the United States, being able to charge credit at a store, being able to have a laundry machine. You know, they speak of hope. And that song, America, they're all wearing you know, vibrant oranges and yellows. Uh, I mean, at the beginning of the film, you see the Jets take down a sign for a, you know, Puerto Rican shop. And it's a temporary sign. They take it down and underneath is this old Irish pub. And they also kick down a men at work sign in the very first mm -hmm. scene. Yeah. And with that, it's like, you know, all these people coming into the United States have these new opportunities, a new way of life speaking a different language than they normally would in their country that whole part in america where the dancing is at the best in the film everything is just so th this truly transported me back to the love that i have in the 1961 version like this is like okay this is what this is west side story like this is what i've been waiting for in this movie so um I have to give the team that created that exuberance on screen 
And I love how there were kids in it, like, really dancing. Yes. Like. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was such a special touch for me, too, is that it was this real intergenerational thing. And what a powerful creative choice to take it from a rooftop into the street mm-hmm. so that you've moved from this, like, liminal space that traditionally represents dreams and the possible, and you actually put it in the setting where they are actually making that dream happen in a very pragmatic way. And America's also set up in a really powerful way in that kitchen scene where, you know, similar to conversations I've had in my own house where we're deciding what language are we speaking right now Mm -hmm. so that we can decide, like, are we practicing this? Are we practicing that? Are we embracing this or embracing that? I know that a lot of people that grew up in a multilingual home probably really connected with that scene because it goes so much more beyond dropping in a random slang term at some in some dialogue later and how powerful that they did not put subtitles to really reflect what it's like mm-hmm. when you don't speak a language you just have to read body language and tone and context and and try to do your best i also really love how america and somewhere kind of resonate with each other as points in anita's what i believe to be a very tragic story um tony and maria's romance to me is a a catalyst for action but it's not the true focus of the story when I was watching it was really about all the characters but I was so invested in Anita and her love story with her dream of becoming her new self Mm -hmm. and her new life and this scene really just set it up with so much context that you can't help but be so heartbroken by the end I mean her ambition she wants to own a shop and she wants to employ other people and like really these noble aspirations and such good intention you know when we see later how you can you can work you can be honest you can do your best and sometimes good people still suffer is part of the real tragedy here and and the fact that our surroundings really can affect um, our safety and our certainty when it comes to things it's truly a tragedy and I think that When it comes to somewhere, the way it's paralleled with Valentina, that somewhere is maybe not even that perceived promise of America that they had. That somewhere has to be a place in your dreams or in your heart that you cultivate with yourself or with someone else or with your community. And it's not promised or guaranteed. It's a true Mm -hmm. tragic romance. And I think America, like you said, Hannah, is that peak moment that then crashes down at the very end. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, and there's sort of this theme throughout the film, and it, it's, obviously, it's adhering to the original uh, musical and that it is following the characters, but it also really starts to broach this aspect of, the like, the main character being the community, in a way, and the communities, sort of, who are um, at war with each other, and really a war that's you know instigated by the city of New York that's clearing house and so there were a few standout moments to me and one standout moment was actually right before the rumble when Tony and Chino actually get to that warehouse at the same time yes neither of them want to participate but they you know both have the same idea of going in seeing what they can do to stop it and then by the end like they you know one one of them ends up killing the other and it just really shows the the nature of um, just how how people get into those in this tribalism in this element, but there are a few standout moments 
for me, um, as far as how um, they represented the film as a whole, um, one standout actually was in the credits when um, Justin Peck was credited before the producers. And like for someone who's known for sneaker ballets, this I mean, this was very much up his alley. <laughs> Um, and another one, and this might be a bit of an odd moment, was um, the interlude when Maria wakes up, after, you know, the night after the um, the balcony scene, and she's getting ready, choreographed to the Bernstein interlude. And that's something that I really appreciated about this movie, is that how it used the Bernstein score, and really, really maximized um the potential for it like even that moment where she's getting ready right like perfectly in line with uh with the music without mickey mousing the music i think beginning to end this is a screen dance it does not let up for a single moment and i know for some people that might not be their thing but i just saw that as pure perfection one more actually two more quick moments i want to acknowledge one is just super fun and amazing which was chino's dance solo at the gym. I love that. <laughs> I felt pure joy watching that. That was the cutest thing ever. So that was one of my favorite dance moments in the whole musical. And that leads me to bring up also the character of Anybody's, who was beautifully fleshed out in this version compared to the original stories where they're kind of pigeonholed as this like annoying character that's like, I want to be one of the guys and here you see an individual that is beautifully crafted and fluidly moving between friendship with Tony and the Jets and really being this beautiful force for understanding and peacemaking throughout. Yeah. I just love this character so much more in this version than any other version I've seen. I also agree with that statement. I thought that character was way more developed this time around and very well executed, um, especially during that shop scene when right away they just say leave. And I, that was like the most subtle moment that just, you know, it answered everything, you know? Mm-hmm. So I know that that character and just overall every character being super developed was part of the big surprise for me with this version. But were there any other surprises for you two? I'm not sure if I was necessarily surprised through watching the film. I think that, I mean, I appreciated what was being brought to the table in this version. Um, I didn't really think that it did anything particularly I didn't really think it did a whole lot particularly new or innovative for the musical genre or the musical film genre. And um, I, we were just, uh, I think Hannah was going to talk about this too, but when I was watching, particularly when I was watching America, I was just drawn back to my experience watching In the Heights. And um, I think that it's, again, they came out pretty close to each other. So I think it's hard to separate comparisons between the two because we do have, you know, a Latinx community in New York that's, you know, undergoing pretty, you know, accelerated change. Um, but I thought that what that film was doing was, um, in a way, a, a refreshing take on on the movie musical in a way. And I think that um, momentum-wise, I th think that it overall did a better job of keeping the momentum throughout the whole movie. I do think that In the Heights is far too long for what it needs to be. Um, and yeah, it has some very real flaws, 
but I thought that there was a fresh take that I didn't necessarily experience uh, with this. Now, with that being said, I was um, very pleasantly surprised by how integrated movement was, even with away from sort of the big dance numbers and sort of how the movement of the characters was orchestrated. And particularly, again, with Riff and, um, and his movement and how that movement shifted between sort of like the bravado toward the beginning and then to a very almost like a child during the fight itself like so showing that that was very much um you know almost like a put on before he's actually you know sent in to do something very um with with some sense of gravity to it so um I mean, I say that, yeah, there are some pleasant surprises when it comes to um, like some of the choices that were made. Um, again, I love the the scene with um, Valentina singing somewhere. And yeah, and the, there's some choices that were very, very pleasant surprises um, within. Yeah, I have to agree, Claire. Yeah, as I was going to say, yeah, In the Heights was released really close to this. So for me, this was just another movie in new york that's blue and not orange Um, (laughs) spoken like a true video editor Uh, yeah it it was just like we just changed the hue the shots were really similar it was so you know sharp in the saturation and the contrast department of things so the look was really similar which didn't wow me at all I mean, I know the past couple of years, Spielberg's films kind of go in that direction anyway, in his like dark action, uh, drama heavy films. But for this one, I was just like, okay, great. Like it's an, it's another one. This is a trend that's we're seeing here. So I wasn't really wowed by anything, uh, except though (laughs) there was this moment while we were watching something's coming where Tony is about to go to the dance and then I realized like wow there's a lot of a lot of different shots going on here and he's singing a dance and dancing like how many times did they do this song and dance (laughs) to cover this many you know camera setups you know you're he's there's a wide shot there's this close-up doing something there's this moment where he's we're on the other side of the door. You, I was like, wow, this is a lot for a very short song. Yeah, so many unnecessary edits. So that that was the one thing that wowed me. I mean, I know we see that a lot through the movie, but for a song that takes place in a small room and also a very short song, that was that's a lot of work right there. <laughs> Something's coming and it's another cut and it's another cut. And it's another cut. <laughs> yeah, so that was one thing I would... I mean, I'll save this comment for later. But yeah, there was just a lot of uh, production in this. So I got a, a book that's like all the storyboards and everything. And it kind of reminds me of a graphic novel mm-hmm. type aesthetic. It's not extreme yeah. like a Zack Snyder situation. But part of it is that it is now. And this is something that within the heights like when i watched in the heights i was like this totally seems like a musical that came out for gen z 
or for Gen Z. Oh, yeah, 100%. This is totally their musical. Whereas for me, like, West Side Story is a timeless classic. I don't need people to agree with me on that. That's just, that is my true feeling about it. I'll say one other thing that really surprised me and I was like so relieved about with this was Maria. I just connected with the character a lot more in this story. I thought she was written a lot better and particularly the I feel pretty scene I thought was beautifully done and contextualized a lot better and how heartbreaking again and how artfully it was placed in the sequence which was not the same as the original, so that it was actually juxtaposed for maximum effect. My past pet peeves as far as, like, you know, take away the obvious offensive, like, makeup and the accent, like, all you know, all that stuff, which is important to acknowledge, aside. What had really annoyed me about West Side Story, the original one, probably was, like, ugh, like, this character, I don't get it. It's the corniness of it. That's what I love. It's so mm-hmm. damn corny. Like all of those movies from back then. <laughs> Give me Nicolas Cage if I want corny. I want my musicals to be good. No, but it's like from the 60s where everything is just like way too elevated and turned up to 11 on purpose. You know, the mm-hmm. surf movies, West Side Story, Bye Bye Birdie, all of those. Like, it, it, it was the, the time that will never come back, which is a good thing, but I will totally accept it for that moment in time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to add, yeah, I thought Rachel Zegler was fan- did a fantastic Maria, and I think it's worth noting that she's performed this role before. And I think, again her actual that's actually her singing unlike the original as well right. and she's so she's so so well suited for Bernstein as yes. well and that is a tough tough role because this is sort of like Bernstein like one foot in musical theater one foot in operetta and that soprano has to do everything and then Ansel Elgort has the task of trying to star next to her so I mean <laughs> it, it would oh, be gosh. a tall order for anybody to partner her and to, to sing with her and to dance with her and to act with her. So um, I think we got to give the guy a little bit of a break because he is dealing with an actual star. And in all the interviews and stuff, he acknowledges that. Um, before we go into our next question, I want to really quickly share something funny, which was that at the time that they were going to start um, shooting, she was already committed to a production. And by committed to a production, I mean her high school musical production of Shrek, where she was playing Fiona. Oh, right. I read this. Yeah, like legit had Spielberg (laughs) postpone production. Like, it's not like she made him, but she's like, I I made a commitment. I have to honor my commitment. So he postponed production until she was ready to, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, take her final bow as Fiona. And then... (laughs) be maria in this version of the film cheers to her that's awesome (laughs) yeah that's loyalty right there so like i said we could go into so many different pathways on this film but let's forge forward to our next question which was any favorite or least favorite scene my least favorite was the meeting of tony and maria at the school i thought It was, I mean, okay, we know that it was a sudden, you know, suddenly they meet. This 
definitely felt like that, but it didn't capture the magical essence of it. When I talk about overproduction, this is one of those moments where it was so overproduced that it lost that momentum of magic that was supposed to be there. I mean, you see it with the lighting and the music, but somehow the audience feels so review removed. And maybe that's just me feeling super removed that they're meeting for the first time and somehow they make it to the bleachers. Um, I just felt like there was just way too much editing in this moment where we're cutting too many times and it, it just, my attention span was lost there. And for those kind of moments, like when you're staring at someone, you want to feel like you're not blinking and an edit feels like you're blinking, you know, like when you're seeing someone and you're just so amazed and you want to capture that, like I'm staring at someone, they see me and we can't leave each other leave each other's eyes in this moment it was i was looking everywhere else except for the other person that was so romantic hannah <laughs> yeah i i'm i'm so with you there hannah that scene just did not land at all and it i mean land especially in the way that it intended to and that and so i felt like as a uh, as a viewer that i was almost like trying to catch up okay now okay, I can see that they're getting on board with this connection. Now I need to get on board with this too, and I'm struggling to do that. Um, so yeah, there is this sort of like cognitive dissonance happening when I when I watch that moment. And also I felt that there were some, um, there were some tonal shifts as far as the, um, as far as the look and the pacing of the dialogue heavy moments versus the dance heavy moments that felt a little, a little very little too whiplashy like we had a you know this incredible you'd have this very incredible spectacular dance sequence that would be immediately be followed by I, I started calling it saving private Tony like very <laughs> Spielbergian <laughs> like like almost like trying to be like um realistic to a point that it was almost um it was almost plotting the film in a way yeah so I mean every time that it was getting sort of like in the bridges between musical numbers I was just waiting okay when's the next number happening when's the next number happening yeah I it's like Claire it's like what you said earlier there wasn't anything new or change or innovative in this that we were seeing also in like in the heights here but honestly, I just want to switch out Spielberg as a director. I just feel that he took it way too intense. And I honestly, I watched this movie twice and it did not really sit with me. Like, I just wasn't like, yes, I was singing the songs afterwards because, I mean, they're iconic songs and they do easily get stuck in your head. Uh, however, it just didn't really do it for me. It wasn't a movie that made me, like, scream, like, I love this movie, honestly. Like, it did a lot of great things. You're like, I don't understand why Jen had to text us both right after she got out of the theater for this. And maybe <laughs> that was it, Jen. You were, like, hyped me up, like, way too much. And I was expecting something so amazing that... I held it way too high in my mind and it didn't do that for me. 
I will not apologize. And you, and you sh- <laughs> yeah, yeah, I shouldn't. And I mean, I think that's also another thing that I, I mean, I saw it on TV. I did not see it in the theater. Like I was not that captive audience seeing it on the big screen. Same. But I'm, yeah, I'm so with you, Hannah. Like I don't think Spielberg was suited for this. I think, yeah, it was just very much, you know, spectacle on spectacle on spectacle using sort of his tried and true techniques to to build that up, which just completely resulted in well it it resulted in a very I mean a kinetic experience but also sort of a um a very a very dense a little far too dense for me and yeah going back to the idea that it didn't really add anything new to the source material and just to um provide some extra context for that um West Side Story was actually um re rebooted or um restaged on Broadway in 2020 and I mean I I will say I didn't get a chance to see the show but it's a modern essentially a modernization with choreography from of all people Ana Teresa de Kiersmacher now I would have been very interested to see what she would have done that because yeah Kiersmacher and musicals seem about as far apart as they could possibly be right (laughs) so it would have I would have been very interested in see like what kind of take that she would have on this material and especially you know as you know a Belgian-based choreographer looking at um an American story too so um I mean I appreciate a lot of what the movie brought to the table I do appreciate that it did you know provide this extra um extra layers um and much more complexity to each of the characters. Um, again, Valentina, the shopkeeper, is a great example of you know, a, you know, Borikenya who married a um, you know married a white man and is sort of like kind of managing you know both of these sides and both of these conflicting worlds in many different ways. And she's hopelessly looking at the current generation and thinking, how have we not resolved this by now? Right. Right. Absolutely. And also just the the nature of um, of tribalism and sort of like the reluctant nature of tribalism. Like we see at the beginning, like Bernardo doesn't want to be in the gang. He doesn't want Chino to be involved with it, but they end up being involved through a series of circumstances and through really, you know, their own their own protection in a way. So, I mean, there are some things, yeah, some things like that I really, really appreciated. But I think that um, I would have, I, I think that, a more dramatic take on the material would have been um, more refreshing. And also just for context, my favorite musical of the last few years is Annette. And I know that (laughs) is not a musical for everybody. (laughs) So that's, um, (laughs) so, I mean, as far as like, I mean, I do want to be aware of like when my, when my own biases do get in the way of, of that as well. I just want to say I'm very jaded. I, when it comes to reboots, remakes, uh, anything based on a true story, like, I'm tired of it. So, honestly, I didn't think that we needed a reboot or a remake of West Side Story. I think it's just great as it is, I, even though we have all of our, you know, controversies with it um, and what it brings. But I, I, I just want more inventive stuff these days I want creative work I don't want something that's based on a true story or we had a reboot you know another two three seasons of Will and Grace because everyone loved it even though you know 
the one in the 90s and early 2000s was just perfect as is. So uh, I don't love the fact that Spielberg was like, let's dig this up and like spend, you know, $100 million and not even break even to like make this movie. It's only made a box office of like $76 million. Which is like they have that's like still like a good amount of money. Well, like the, they get their ad revenue from HBO Max. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I mean, granted, we it was released during you know COVID times and on HBO, and they waited for the theatrical release yeah, for like a but, year, yeah. I think, until it like was soft COVID and they could sort of open in theaters, and then they did. The online release, like, three months Still later. too soon. HBO Max, Disney Plus. Still too soon. You know, like, give me a movie. Like, if you want to remake something, remake a silent movie. Let's do that. Remake Ghostbusters with an all-female cast. Oh, wait, no, we tried that. Never mind. <laughs> okay, that was, a, that was also a big mistake. That did not need to be done. We do not need all these, like spin-offs on things be more inventive we do like it's too soon this is why i love these conversations because we do not agree on everything and that is <laughs> even better than if we did agree it would be so boring if we did i love that we can hash out the details we're not worried about offending each other we can really kind of work through our own thoughts and i will say that i my opinion on this film has maybe deepened through this conversation. Um, and I know that you two are like, oh, Spielberg, like, way overdid it, and nay. But I do want to give credit to Tony Kushner for rearranging the numbers and, you know, m crafting the screenplay in a way that I do think we get more than the original. Um, and I think that great directors and producers, they, they find the best talent and they orchestrate it. Mm -hmm. And I think any department you look at in this film, whether it was your artistic favorite or not, they killed it. Like, I think this is a great example of virtuosity in every department. And that alone is a beautiful thing that can exist. And this isn't the only film that does that, but what a great opportunity for all the people that contributed to this massive production um, to just recreate this classic and to be honest you could show the 1961 west side story to someone that's gen z right now and they would probably not make it through five minutes they'd be like oh people are in brown face i'm not watching it and it's like okay well i get and of course they could say that about ansel elgort with this and like oh like there's allegations i'm not going to watch it but i think this was a great attempt to update and provide more context and just celebrate how far technologies come and even if it's not your cup of tea um <laughs> i think it's a nice way to revive a classic and i don't think there needs to be another one after this one but i'm glad this one exists right. um please no <laughs> we do not need another Sp a star is born though I, I would pay to see the terry demay cures mocker version of west side story and see how that would turn out <laughs> So in closing, I think aside from the technical excellence of this film, at the heart of it is a really good story or stories and a really good message. And this message that the general human experience is something that we can all relate to. And it doesn't matter your particular 
group identity one way or the other because we see those identities and those bonds forged and broken time and time again in this film and the circumstances you're in shift what becomes important to these characters and how they connect with each other and those alliances can shift in the blink of an eye we see various characters cope with the heartbreak of their dreams and their expectations being broken their essential human needs not being met and we see that even good people suffer and struggle and those that we might discard as lazy or cruel are really the ones that need the most help and understanding so i believe at this at the core of this story is a plea for compassion and to see the good in others, and to see beyond group identity, and strive for our own individual clarity and peace. When we see the humanity in others, we can no longer have the heart to hate them. And I think that's the real gift that West Side Story gives us. The great work begins. That's a Tony Kushner reference. This is Frameform. Hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Edited by the Frameform team. With social media assistance from Maddie Leitner and music by Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.